word. Thank you as we uh, get through Matthew 28 here. The, uh, well, Lord, just the, the, the price that you paid for us and the great hope we have in the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that you recorded for us um, uh, frail and fleshly disciples, Lord, that had same uh, questions and, and doubts that we have, Lord. And may we be encouraged by them and your faithfulness to them, meeting them where they're at, knowing that you'll meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so chapter 28 of Matthew. So, Riley, just so you know, it's kind of, we read some, talk a little bit, discuss. It's not a... Uh, Formal. No, it's not inductive. <laughs> deductive, we don't want to do. Deductive. No, that's what I'm saying. It's anyway. not deductive. So, uh, yeah, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with, with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of him, his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So, before we get too far into this, uh, something that we're told uh, that this conversation between Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which would be the mother of um, James and Joseph, they believe. That's presumably. Um, so the other Mary. Um, one thing that we're told in other accounts is that they're, they're walking and going, how are we going to get the stone rolled away? Because it's been sealed and they're heavy. Um, and they were gonna, they're bringing stuff to... to um, it's kind of the embalming process, right? Um, and so Matthew doesn't tell us that. We hear that from Luke, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But I want to just kind of... For a moment, take a look at what the angel says. He says, verse 6, He is not here, he has risen as he said. And it's important for us to note because um, Jesus has said this a few times to his disciples. Matthew 17, 22 and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So what's interesting is they were greatly distressed at him saying this, but yet here he's doing it, and they're still distressed. We know that the, the disciples are in hiding. Uh, both the Marys are going to go uh, tell them what they see, uh, what they've seen, and all this stuff. Jesus is going to appear to them. What I like about this, just a side note here, is Jesus... So the angel says, hey, go to Jerusalem, um, or to Galilee, and he'll meet you there. And Jesus met them before they got there. Jesus is eager to meet us. He's eager to reveal himself to us. He's eager to show us as risen. It's not that he wasn't going to meet the disciples in Galilee because that's who it was for. You know, he's going to meet them in Galilee. But Jesus wanted to confirm to both these Marys. What do you do with the Cleopas and the two on the road to Emmaus? He meets them and, and it... 
and, and goes over and, and uh, explains to them as they're walking down the road all the Old Testament of, you know, I was just thinking what a, what a glorious, uh, have Jesus explain the whole Old Testament to you. He, he might know a few things about it. <laughs> Matthew sixteen twenty one. from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I mean, it said from that time he began to, and this was the message of Jesus towards the end of his life. This is what's going to happen. I'm preparing you that this is what's going to happen. And we know, we know that uh, um, Matthew, or not Matthew, but Peter wasn't too excited about that. He, he goes, may it never be. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Matthew 20. Uh, verse 18 or 19, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. These are one of these things I think that people don't hear the last, the last phrase. All they hear is he's going to be mocked. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. Do they ever hear and he's going to be raised on the third day, right? That's a question. I mean, we're that way, right? Under the Lazarus, uh, being raised on the third day, if I told you I'm going to be raised on the third day and it's never happened in your life, you've never seen it. I mean, uh, what? If, yeah. I mean, I, I, could, I could see where the disciples, I'm not saying it's right because he did tell them about 18, 20,000 times. Well, he, he probably told them a lot. A the lot. the, the question they, is, did they hear? Well, they didn't ask. Did they hear clearly that he was going to be raised? And they might have heard the words. That's what I'm saying. They but they were it. so fixated on, again, because we have they to... They believe it. Right. Well, we have to remember, what were they expecting? Mm-hmm. They were expecting the Messiah to come and establish rule on earth. And they were going to be these 12 guys who were like, hey, we're with him. You, you know, and, and that's not the Messiah of the Bible. Um, I mean, it is for the second coming, right? And, and so I think that, again, they were believing all that they were told. And so him saying, I'm going to be killed, they're going to be like, well, first of all, there's two things, right? What's some of the, so let me ask you, what are some of the reasons why they didn't want him to be killed? Or they couldn't accept it? Well, they knew that they would be the next targets. Okay. And he was their, I'll say, leader. Okay. You know, you don't want to lose somebody that you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Mm-hmm. I go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go. I was I was just going to say that uh, uh, the finality of uh, of death over there uh, uh, being proved wrong. I mean, just you know, it, it never has never happened before. I mean, he this guy is is the Messiah, the Christ over there, and. Um, the, the the sheer shock of uh, actually well Peter and when he, when uh, Jesus is being taken before the Sanhedrin then to the Pilate uh, I mean it just shows you the the uh, his heart's good but I mean you get the fight or flight and and you take off I mean you didn't yeah. you didn't you didn't hear all the words that he was talking about I think self preservation comes in I think there. Um, you know, we get a little insight when Peter's like, "Hey, we left everything for you," mm-hmm. um, and and I think that I think when when that we left everything not so you could go die. Uh, so right, and so the question is, what happens to me if you die? Could I be killed? I I've cut ties with you know all these other you know people. I probably won't have jobs anymore. I won't. Have, I mean, where does that leave me? Leaves me to be a big fool. 
um, and whatnot. Especially, and, I think, in the Jewish culture, because yeah. they're so tightly knit. Right. Once you cut ties there, it's hard to get back in. They're no. essentially cut off. You're yeah, right. Absolutely. I was going to say the the also the aspect of uh, uh, going over there and not seeing the the the, the scriptures over there fulfilled. He says, "You'll be sitting with me." On, on 12 thrones and when the son of man comes into his kingdom you go to revelation john sees the 24 thrones the, the i assume the tribes and the apostles are sitting there ruling and reigning with christ and i was just going to say everything in there is is being fulfilled but we um we see through a glass darkly i'm i'm pretty thick yeah and they don't you know so again i mean how how many times have we had expectations that got blown up. I'm stupid. <laughs> and then only to realize that what came out of it was actually better than what I had originally, you know. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it's not uh, uncomfortable. Uh, Mark eight thirty one. he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So it's interesting that these apostles, after the fact, remembered rise again. Because they weren't thinking that. In this moment, I mean, because you know, we're looking back and I go, well, okay, yeah, he's gonna be killed, but awesome, he's gonna rise in three days. This is gonna be great. You don't see them thinking that. It's you, never happened, right? Well, it, uh, you don't see them thinking that. He's proven that he has that oh, he has he, power he, over death, right? Right, because he's right. he's raised more than one person in their presence. They've right. watched it. They've seen it. Well, that didn't happen to them. I I can't tell you that. Well, he won the lottery. He's a gazillionaire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it didn't happen to you. It happened to him. And so basically taking ownership. Yeah. But I was going to say, one of the things I noticed over there is every one of the apostles, that said, we left everything, you know, and like you're saying, Riley, uh, what could have cost me my life? It did cost them their life. They willingly gave it. That's one of the strongest testimonies I have of saying, hey, you're staying on a pretty sure foundation of something really solid for people to give up their lives. Mm-hmm. When all they had to say is, hey, I was kidding. I was joking. I was wrong. You know, uh, let me go. Yep. You know, uh, throw the little flower offering to uh, Caesar in, in your in your in. No, I'm eating it. Wow. Yeah. And Jesus says in John 10, for this reason the Father loves me because why I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Amen. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Now, again, the disciples a little dense, right? Which is great. We appreciate that. Um, but this gives us some indication and some clarity of why he didn't defend himself before the scribes and the Pharisees and really before Pilate. He's like, and he told Pilate, you don't have authority over me. Because you only have authority because it's been given to you, right? And Jesus says, I have, I have the authority here. And he, and he says that we'll get that in a little bit at the end of the chapter, that all authority is his anyway. Um, so again, these things that the disciples, praise the Lord, remembered afterwards for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke 9, the Son of Man uh, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so <clears throat> we see over and over again, Matthew 20, 17 through 19, John 20, verse 9, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So that's the end of that's the end of John. He says, "Hey, they didn't understand this." And and we're going, "Yeah, but, and we're thinking, but they should have." Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay.
Sometimes you hear what you want to hear. I've got the gift of stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Apostle Paul kind of sums it up for us, what, what Jesus was doing. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So what he's saying is that the Scriptures told us, and that's the Old Testament, told us that this is what was going to happen. And again, we appreciate that. Um, Jesus wasn't faltered uh, and, and swayed by, you know, a different kind of love. Like, you know, we, we do things when people like, oh, please don't, you know, okay, I won't go on my trip or I'll delay it. I'll go tomorrow or, you know, there's a snowstorm. I'll wait, you know, because I love you. Uh, and just like, yeah, I love you more than, than satisfying you with my presence this way. Because it's not good, right? It's better to have his presence with Do you find it funny over there when, when Peter says, we've left everything? I was just thinking about everything. This cat's down at the dock with stinking fish and yeah. nets. And I'm just thinking, you know, that would be like me uh, being a railroad. You know, I've left everything for me. I'm just thinking, you're a it's, hunk of dirt. You're but dust. it's still, and it's still. Uh, it's, in his world. It's a living and it's, and right. it's, and it's known. I, I, I know, yeah. but I'm, I'm just saying. We like routine. <laughs> I'm just saying when you know when you're moving towards he's trying to give you eternal life and and and, and uh, uh, an eternity and I'm hanging on to my my little gibobs my little foibles of snapchats thank Your snapchat. you yeah my snapchat <laughs> <laughs> thank you so again we see here that initially the the angel says, don't be afraid, right? And I love this, you know, and Jesus, because we, the author here, Matthew notes that they left with fear, but joy. So there was both there. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus meets them and greetings, he says to them. And they took hold of him and they worshiped him because it's true. He is alive. And he says, do not be afraid. Answer me this. The angel says, see, I have told you. I wonder if, if he's reminding the women, don't be stupid and not do it. You know, I wonder if he has to give an account to Jesus. Did you tell him what I told you to do? It seems like there's a serious thing. See, I have told you. It's like there's a, uh, an accountability factor, you know, like don't be stupid well, that, the that, disciples. That phrase basically is saying what I am telling you is true. Okay. So... It, it kind of gets. My dad would have been a little more it, get, it gets clunky in our in our translation. What I am telling you, because his goal, yeah. what I'm telling you is true. Right. He's going to meet you. So, verse eleven. While they were going, behold, some of the guard uh, uh, went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now remember, they fell over as dead men because it was rolled away, but apparently they came to. Well, they right? saw the angel so, too. So, well, yeah, but they came to, yeah. and they went, um, and which is interesting. So. It had to be of supernatural. So this is the, the thing we need to understand. If it would have been the disciples coming by cover of night and sneaking and taking them out, the, the, the Roman soldiers would have just killed themselves. Absolutely. But something supernatural happened to where they're like, hey, we're not, it's not, it wasn't because we fell down on the job here. I mean, they did. They fell over its dead for a moment. But this is something greater than just the theories that are out there. I mean, they put the guards there. Why? Because they were fearing that the disciples were going to come take it. Are you wrong about that? I was wondering if this is a Pentecostal movement being slain in the spirit. I mean, no, I'm kidding. Well, if it is, it's away from the Lord and not to him. So I... I yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Just so I'm, you know. Yeah, I'm moving the wrong <laughs> just way. Just so you know, that every time you see people fall over, uh, it's away from the things of the Lord instead of... Anyway, that's a whole difference. Uh, 
anyway, but you see a lot of people falling face down to the dirt and worshiping. So anyway, they told them, verse 12, And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. Okay. So they believe the soldiers, right? They're, they're going, okay, what are we going to do? Why wouldn't they believe them? I mean, if I came and says, hey, man, uh, but they, I guess that gets me over there, either the spoon theory or that they, uh, the, you know, Roman soldiers, uh, they knew how to kill people. Crucifixion was real. Right, and, right. And the, the, I don't think they were messing around. Well, they and the fact that the soldiers hadn't killed themselves and came and told them this probably indicated some truth to what they were saying. Okay. And so he said, tell them this. Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. But again, if you knew the culture and you knew that that's... Why would people believe that? Because if that were the case, you wouldn't be alive. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, let's do this. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So this is shortly after Matthew's writing this, you know, within 20 years, if not less, probably closer to 10 years after Jesus had ascended. And he's like, hey, this story is still going around. People are still saying, oh, no, the disciples came and took him Um, again. The flip side of the coin is if if, uh, if the body was there, he didn't rise from the dead. I bet the Jews would have been the first ones rolling the stone back and showing the body. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we look at the one thing of the body not being there, but, uh, you know. I don't know if they would roll the stone back and say the body. They would say Let's have, it hasn't been tampered. He's still in there. He, you know, they took yeah. him in there. So the proof is in the closed tomb. The Our proof is in the open tomb. Right. Right. So, yeah. 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Oh, they did something he told them to do, yay. Um, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Interesting. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of the, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, um... A better translation, and we'll talk about that in a moment, is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. But let's go back. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But, but, but just look at this little note. But some doubted. He's only talking about the 11 at this point in time. Um, now, we know all those 11 died as martyrs for the faith. So something changed, which will, you know, we yeah. know as Pentecost, the Holy yeah, Spirit came. Yeah. Um, why do you think they doubted? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> You're seeing him. I wonder if the carnal nature, just the shock, yeah. the shock of just something of, of uh, they were hallucinating. well, there's all kinds of different things. Uh, there's a spiritual warfare going on. I'm sure Satan's not saying, oh yeah, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. You know, am I, am I really seeing what I, am I really believing what I'm yeah. seeing? What am I seeing? What does this mean? 
uh, instead of saying, hey, it's fulfilling. The so let's go over to Luke chapter 24, because mm-hmm. I think we can get some better insight as to what's happening here. 24 beginning in verse 36. Thank you, Luke. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had seen this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? So... I think we, we're seeing um, this idea of, I don't think that they didn't want to believe. I think they were overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmed. Again, back to what you are saying earlier, they've never seen this happen in this way before, right? Um, and their whole world was turned upside down by Christ when he called them to follow him. Mm-hmm. And then it was radically turned upside down to a place that they didn't want because he died on a cross. Mm-hmm. And now here he is in the flesh in a glorified body with them and proving that he's doing what he's saying. So I imagine the amount of emotions that are going on are just, hey, how many times have you, something is happening to you or given to you or done for you or whatever and you're like, it's too good to be true. And you just have a hard time believing it, even though it is. Our move out to here, uh, you know, the timing and everything for the Lord bringing us out to here. I mean, I actually said that statement. Um, I said, well, this is amazing. And a pastor friend of mine out there in California said, man, it sounds too good to be true. And, um, and so it's funny because I'd shared that with, with Jonathan Dinger when we had come out. Um, and he goes, ha, because it is. It's God. <laughs> so he's like, it is too. And so I think that, that um, they were just overwhelmed with various emotions. They wanted to believe, but, I mean, they're fresh in their mind. They saw him die on the cross. I was going to say, uh, you have to remember, though, like you said earlier, or like Riley was saying even before that, uh, you know, is it going to cost us our lives? You don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts hasn't come where the tongues of fire and go over there with something where they're being not only commissioned but empowered. I was just going to say, so you have an angel come over there. He knocks the guards down. He moves away the stone. He talks to the women. So this is way beyond just uh, people making stuff up. There's an actual... Uh, miraculous intervention. God is moving, and whether you want it to or not, and you're not going to stop it. The price has been paid. Satan's laughing on, I got him on the cross. Uh, He suffered and died, and uh, uh, too bad, guys, and you know, my problem's over. Well, I guess he didn't he didn't know that that would be the one redeeming thing that would take him down. Yeah, so I think that, again, the, the, the disciples are human beings. And so they're, uh, what I like about how the, the scriptures portray them is they're not reacting in ways that we wouldn't. Um, you, you, know, mm-hmm. so let, you, know, you know, you pray for healing for somebody, yeah. right? Um, and they get healed, right? I mean... And you're, and you're like, well, really? I mean, because you're like, I, I want to believe it, but 
you know, the, the, the situation was so dire or, you know, how can it be? And, and so I think that, again, we, we just have lack of faith. Um, uh, you know, even, even in Luke, it kind of says, well, they thought maybe he was a spirit. And so he kind of addresses that. Touch me. Touch me. Does a spirit. And he goes, I don't want something to eat. Does a spirit want something to eat? So he kind of says, no, I really have physically come back from the grave, which is really important. Really important because if he physically didn't come, it was just a spirit. Now we got a different problem, right? Mm-hmm. We got a different problem. A resurrected body over there, I guess, when he appears, I guess he walked through the wall. I mean, uh, you know, or something happened. Well, he, he appeared to them physically, well, well, so we don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, back to your Ethiopian and the eunuch, right? You know, Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, it, you know. I've heard a lot of theories on this. Hey, you know, once we're in a resurrected body, we're going to be walking through walls. I'm like, okay, well, that's the thing I'm going to be excited about. No, no. Right? Well, I, I, I mean... Dimensions don't seem to have an effect. What I'm saying well, is it's larger. Yeah. I mean, again, we turn it into a science fiction thing instead of, a, instead of just like, hey, things are different. I'm that stupid. Right? I'm hoping, you know, I've got the gift of stupidity. I, but uh, I don't walk through walls. No, no, no. I was just say, you know, hopefully you're in the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't seem to be shackled by the yeah. same. Well, yeah, and I don't think those things. You know, again, we're trying to to limit things to our understanding and our, to, as you mentioned, dimensions, but our time and space. Yeah. Where God's outside of that, so what I think. Do, what do you What do you do in eternity? Obviously, you're dealing with things that are out in eternity. Uh, time doesn't exist. Uh, uh, I'm assuming things are going to be different. Sin doesn't exist. That's my point. That's awesome. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll never grow tired of it. I can tell you that. Thank you, God. And it's always going to be great. Um. So, but we're going to do stuff too. But. You know, whatever. What's that? We'll have a party. There'll be a, a feast, a dinner. So even though they worshipped him, I like this little note, but some doubted. And I, that's encouraging to me. Because there are times where I've worshipped the Lord and I still doubt stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, so, well when, when you're dealing with finite problems and situations, you don't have the answer. That's why I like to ask large is because you don't have the answer, Steve. You don't have the resources. There's only one person that can fulfill this, and it's not you. And so you, if you're going to ask, ask large. Don't ask for a cup of water when you need the ocean. So let me ask you this. Why, um, why do you think it's necessary or important to worship even when you are in a moment of doubt? Faith. Well, you you don't know you don't know the totality what is God is necessarily going to do. You're looking at your you're looking at your wallet. I only have twenty. How big's your God? I got twenty three dollars. God is twenty three dollars. That's all I've got for resources. And uh, I was thinking the widow and the two small eyes. She throws me says, "Hey, she gave more than everybody." I mean, basically the value system is is skewed. Uh, uh, so you don't know the faith that you're when you're praying for something. You don't know that might be the tipping point. Of what God is waiting for to fire So let's off take communion, for okay. instance. Yeah, there you go. I've had more than one person on more than one occasion say, eh, you know, I don't feel anything every time I go up there. So sometimes I'm like, why go up there if, you know, if it, you know, if it's not the special moment, we'll call it that. 
So, so why do you think then, because going to the table is an act of worship, right? Mm-hmm. We're admitting what? We need, we need a savior, yeah. right? Need the yeah. blood to cleanse you. Right. We're admitting that, that we're desperate for that. And we're also expecting that God to meet us in a real and tangible way. That's really encouraging. though. I, so, I thought I was the only stupid one in there. There's other stupid people. So there. the question is, how would, how would you respond to somebody who, before I tell you how I responded, how would you respond to somebody who says, yeah, you know, I, um, I, I just don't know if, you, you know, I want to wait till I'm going to, till I really feel like I need it or, you know, so it's almost an act of doubt. Like the, yeah. the Jesus is really meeting me there. There's that lack of expectation. So well, why? They may not know. I well, would say, what, what would you say? Uh, you're, that is really the body and blood. God has promised to meet you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you might want to ask him, Holy Spirit, show what you're doing and saying to me. I'm, you know, okay. I'm, uh, well, the one that gets me is uh, people whining, complaining, not about communion. Well, I, you know, I've been coming here for six months. I'm angry at the pastor. He, I haven't got anything out of his sermons for six months, not here, but at other churches. I was just going to say, did he share any scripture? Did he read anything? I mean, I've been here for six months too, and, you know, I don't get everything, but I try to get one, one thing out of it that I can apply to my life. What, Lord, what are you saying through the scripture to me? Okay. So this person, eh, you know, I don't know why I go up because sometimes, you know, you know, I don't think it's necessary or I don't, uh, I don't feel it. What, what would you say to him? Because I would say they're in a moment of doubt. Okay. Okay. So, okay. so what would you say to him? I think you kind of say it every time we, before we have communion, yeah. you really sit and think and ponder on it. I forget exactly what you say, but you yeah, say, so do I. you know, think about it, like take a moment to reflect on it. Yeah. And that's really helped me when I go up for communion yeah. because when you don't do that and you don't take the time to think about it, it's just routine and it's right, just, you right. do it out of habit and mm-hmm. not because it means something. Yeah. Okay. I would also suggest that doing it out of habit is not a bad thing either. That's, that's true. But are you, <laughs> just, I'm just what, saying what happens when you have earwax or hardening of the heart, your okay. heart from your head to your heart, you're un, it isn't that you won't receive, you can't receive because of your rebellion or your stupidity or your, uh, stiff neckness or, uh, even worse than that would be your arrogance thinking that you know something and I don't need God. Okay. Hey, what, What's wrong with you? Yeah, that's what you turn it back on them. What's your problem? So I think I, like I, I think I think uh, I think the answer is in verse eighteen here. Go ahead. Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to instead of observe, obey all that I have commanded you." So Jesus says when he does the word, when he institutes the Lord's Supper, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So when you do this, um, this is what you do. And so I would say, well, there's an act of obedience to going to the table, whether you feel like it or not, whether you are experiencing this moment in your life or not. Jesus said to do it. So we do it out of obedience and he'll bless us for it. Whether you feel blessed in that moment or something crazy in that moment or not is not the issue. The issue is establishing a pattern of, I will worship the Lord even when I don't feel like it. I will worship the Lord even when trials, uh, things in my life aren't going the way that I want them to. I will worship the Lord when I'm having doubts about him. Uh, because God will meet us in that. 
And so I find a lot of people don't come to worship because they're just not believing it at the time. They believe it, but they're not really believing it. Why? Because God's not doing for them what they think he should be doing that for is them. Scary. I was going to say, I was thinking of the Old Testament over there, uh, Samuel and uh, Saul and uh, Samuel over there. Uh, God tells him to wait. We're going to go into battle or whatnot over there. So he's waiting and the armies are over there and they're facing off and, and the prophet doesn't show up. And uh, Samuel carries a, does a, a, a thing for the priest and a king. He, he, he violates that and God says it's better to obey or to the prophets it's better to obey than sacrifice. And I was just thinking uh, when God expects us to obey uh, we as Americans, that's kind of a what would you say an option? I mean, it's well, I would a, I would suggest though that obedience always requires an element of sacrifice. It could, yes, uh, it, it yeah. does. I mean, you know, I'm denying what I want. Okay. Every time. So I mean, I kind of look at it like, um, you, you know, your parents when you're younger. I don't know about your parents. I'm screaming. They well, want they they, they, they they expect you to do certain things, right? Hey, clean your room. Hey, do this, do that. Clean up after yourself when you're after dinner or whatnot. And you hate doing it as a kid. You're like, mom's my slave. Why can't she just do it all for me, right? I mean, that's really kind of the stupid attitude we have. Um, but Boy, they missed that. Message. Yeah, all right. Wait. She missed that. Message. I hate. Is it? Yeah. Isn't this why you were made? Yeah. Right. And so, and so, you know, but but you you find that as you get older. There's certain things that you do out of routine and out of habit that you find are actually that your parents are trying to get you to do all the time that you find are very beneficial and there's great joy. So you do them. And so I kind of look at what God says to do it, you do it. Whether I want to at the time or whether I like it or not, he is not, he's playing the long game with me. Um, and so I think it's one of those things where we encourage one another. We do things sometimes merely because God said to do it. How is society doing the 10 suggestions? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson just blesses me as I go through the thing over there uh, of, of, of just the, the sheer arrogance of, of us uh, that we just have chosen. We know, we know more than God. I don't have to. I can, uh, which of the 10 commandments do you want to not obey? Right. I mean, you can want to lie, steal, kill. I mean, take your pit. I mean, they're all good. And Jesus sometimes just love your neighbor as yourself and, and love God. And I mean, we, we... Well, then you do the other ones. If you love God first, all the other ones fall in line. I know. But I was just going to say that in America, uh, we could improve on that. Well, I mean... There's room for improvement. Yeah. So we're not going to improve because we're dumb. That's true. So, so then he gives us great commission. Now, I've had... People over my years of ministry say, well, this was just for the disciples. It wasn't for us today. <laughs> Mike, okay, buddy, sorry, you're not off the hook because let's go to 2 Corinthians and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you're an ambassador. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but what does it mean to make disciples? Well, you're going to make disciples. Uh, this is a Jordan Peterson thing. Uh, you're going to make disciples. It's like being a dad. You're a dad, good or bad. You're going to be making disciples. They're following your life, your kids, your Okay, family, in context of the scripture, what does it mean to make the disciples that Jesus is talking Hopefully about? Hopefully you're going to be you're going to be following Christ that they're going to be using you as an example of love, acceptance, forgiveness, healing, blessing, okay. and you're going to be walking in some semblance of life. Okay? Hopefully It's very general. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would like more specifics. What does it mean to make a disciple? 
walking in obedience oh, oh, to, the, to the scriptures and, and, and following oh, the uh, obedience. So you're talking about yourself, though. What does it mean to make a disciple of Christ? Well, you're teaching, instructing, and being oh, an example. Okay. So, so well, there's some teaching involved, right? Obedience, okay. instruction, your uh, modeling. But what's some of the things that Jesus tells us first? All authority has been given to him. Well, before, after that. Go the, and make disciples. There's a key to making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here's a challenge that we have in today's church. Um, is baptism is, to your point earlier, is an option often. Now, again, do I believe that people are saved if they're not baptized? Absolutely. But obviously, um, if I know someone's not baptized... If I find out, we're, we're the subject's going to come up often. I might let it go for a couple of weeks, but then I'm going to bring it up, right? You say, hey, what, what's taking so long? You know, why, why don't you want to get baptized, right? What's the hesitation? <laughs> um, and, and, and let's flesh that out. Um, and again, at the same time, though, uh, sometimes it means I'm teaching them the benefits of baptism. Or I'm mentioning it more in a sermon. Maybe it comes up more often so that they go, oh, man, I need to be baptized. Uh, so... So I think the first thing is is that is that that we bring them officially into the family of God, is is a simple way to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, we we assure them they're forgiven of sins, that they're adopted into the family, and they are one of us. Jonathan would say that that it, not only just in the family, but you get family faith and and uh, yeah. uh, you get the, all the benefits of uh, being a disciple. Right. Right, but then, see, we live in a world uh, with mega churches that are more concerned with with conversions than they are disciple making. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not, I want to be careful to not negate their ministries and say they're doing it wrong. Um, but we we have to realize that they're, yeah, we start with people admitting that they need a savior, right? But it should never end there. Uh, and so I was in a ministry for many years that it kind of ended there. Hey, he came forward, said the prayer. Awesome. And people, and so we always complained about the revolving door because we weren't making disciples. Now, other churches got the opportunity to make disciples because most of these people would go to other churches that were smaller. And, you know, 2,000-person church, easy to get lost in. But a church of 50 you don't get lost in, and you can really get discipled in a, in a different way. Um, so what? So discipling is teaching, walking alongside, spending time with, um, studying what Jesus has commanded, doing what Jesus has commanded together with them, things like that. Babysitting. Okay. Why? What is the danger, though, of thinking that you have to disciple someone. That's easy. They could end up looking like you and they have their own sovereign, personal trek between their gifts, friends, okay. and what the Holy Spirit wants them to do. And it's probably not a carbon cookie. He's not stamping out cookies. It's probably, you can give an overall view, but you know, if everyone looks, looks like whoever it is, uh, you probably have a problem. You're not the body of Christ. Everyone's in the ear. Okay. So we can get too much of ourselves and our flesh in the way. Okay. What's some other challenges with that? 
the thinking I have to disciple. Because we do. We're commanded to disciple others. Well, you're, you're not. The, the Holy Spirit is leading it. You're not responsible. The Holy Spirit is responsible. Uh, hopefully you're listening and okay. able to let go. It's like uh, with Matt. You know, Matt is following your ministry and whatnot. But you've been gracious enough to give him general, broad situations. But you haven't really taken it and said, you've got to do it like this. And that's a power. Oh, I have. Well, in the Lutheran tradition. So, no, I've told him things like, hey, when you're pronouncing the blessing over me at the end of communion, I need to be able to hear you because I don't know when you're done. I'm like, you're saying something to me? So, uh, so I think that, that um, I think that the challenge with saying, so I've been in these um, circles where you know, I, I've got to be a Christ, good Christian. I've got to be finding people to disciple. And it becomes very Pharisaical. Because mm-hmm. discipling is important. Don't get me wrong. But discipling is being with people and helping them, as you grow in the Lord, helping them grow in the Lord. But if we take this stance of, okay, I'm going to disciple you, Right. And, and seriously, I've, I've been around, mm-hmm. unfortunately, and it, it becomes, it, I find that now all of a sudden you're the master and you're teaching the students. And not that, you know, so I always find encouraging people to find people that have been walking with Christ longer than you and hang out with them. Right. I mean, like, I, you know, listening to, to an, an old person who's been alive longer than me, say, you know, I found that some things are really important and some things aren't. Maybe I should listen. I was going to uh, say, know? one of the powerful things of that was uh, when I became a new Christian, I was going to assembly, but uh, fi- uh, work over there, firefighters would send you um, Calvary Chapel Chuck Smith tapes. Mm-hmm. I'd get the whole books of uh, Corinthians and just devour them over there. And I mean, I've got hundreds of, of firefighter tapes of just going through the scriptures and listening to Chuck. And it was it was interesting that there were certain uh, scriptures would just come alive and it wasn't that Chuck was perfect if you knew Chuck I'm sure he is just like pastor he's got his uh, foibles and stuff too but he, he would always refer back to the word it was it was powerful okay. so how did Jesus disciple the disciples well they were dense I mean they were dense yeah, how do you do it though there's just a key like, there's a key yeah. There's a key, and and he's gonna, and Jesus is gonna answer it, in the last things that he says to them. But before we, yeah. even though you all know those the words that he says, how did he disciple them? I mean, when he first sent them out, he like sent the Holy Spirit with them, and okay. so you'll know what to say. You'll okay, yeah. They were questioning like, how are we gonna be like you? Right, and right. Said, you know, when the time is needed, you'll know what okay. to say. So equip them. Great. An example. He showed them by example. Okay. Mm-hmm. How did they see that example? They were stupid. They didn't get it. No, but how did they see that example? Poorly. He was their teacher. Okay. So all great things, but he spent. A lot of time with them. You yeah. see, we look at discipling as, well, I have this book that we're going to go through. And by the end of this book, after six weeks, you're going to be a disciple. And it's like, well, no, 
You're not. This is a long game. This is, and, and I think that, again, not that we don't want to have intention in our relationships, because the reality is, together we should be pursuing Christ. Um, it, it's one of those things. So, again, I was in this large ministry, and every time we got together for anything, there had to be a little sermon or a Bible study, which is great, right? I don't have a problem with that. But at some point in time, you don't give the opportunity for people to hang out and share life in a way to where Christ, I'm convinced when Christians get together, Christ will come up in the conversation. And sometimes he'll come up in a way that, that is more, what I would say, real, to where someone's like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Well, the Bible study might not have given them opportunity to do that. Again, I'm not saying that Bible studies aren't good. Right. But I think that one of the things that we forsake to do is, is say, let's just hang out. Let's just be together, enjoy life. I mean, do you think Jesus laughed with his disciples? Absolutely. I mean, you've watched The Chosen. So, you know, one of the things that I think they do a good job is, is showing that Jesus loved being with people. I mean, he loved the parties. He loved hanging out with people. Um, and, and from that, uh, you know, what, how do you, you kind of mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned, but you know, well, you talked about dads. But how do kids mimic their parents? They spend time with their parents. They watch their parents. And they go, that's how I'm supposed to do things. You know, why, why does Lara fold towels the way that she does or make beds the way that she does? Because that's the way she was told to do it. Yeah. And, and again, that's the, how she learned because she hung out. And so, um, I, you know, I never learned how to make a bed, so she's tried to teach me. But, um, but my, my whole point in that is, is that, and then Jesus says, this is how you make disciples too. And I am with you always to the end of the age. So we make disciples because of Christ in us and we make them baptizing them and teaching. And this isn't so I can go, hmm, let me see who I can make a disciple. Who, can, who needs to hear my wisdom and be taught? Um, now again, I, Paul exhorts the older ladies in the, in the church, the older men, hey, hang out with the young, teach the young people. And we need to do that. It's very important that we hang out together. Sometimes, um, you know, I see all this segregation by age group and by, by, by gender and whatnot. And there are good times for that. But it, there should be times where old and young are hanging out together. Uh, and, and they're sharing this life. And they can impart. Well, one of the things that's challenging, right, with our society today are the separation of distance between families. You know, I grew up. My grandparents were in my life almost every day. I mean, we lived in the same town. My parents and them opened a hardware store together, and we all worked at the hardware store. I saw my grandparents. When I was a kid, I would go to my grandmother's kindergarten class before I was in school. So, and they lived eighth of a mile, maybe not even that from us. And I saw my aunts and uncles all the time. And so from that, right, we just hung out as a family. And the same thing for the church. We hang out as a family. We learn from one another. But we're not just hanging out so we can say, hey, you know, we're awesome. And what a great thing. We're hanging out because God has brought us together and we're encouraging one another in the Lord. Sounds like to me that that's a, not just a, a disciple making thing over there. It sounds like that could actually be positive for marriages, raising kids. 
a whole host of stuff, stuff you know, um, with uh, our busy schedules and Snapchat. God help us. <laughs> <laughs> we need, yeah, we need it all comes back to Snapchat. <laughs> so, but the encouraging thing to all of us is what he, he goes, I'm always with you. And again... Uh, Do we believe that? No, but, but that's why we go to the table. And yeah, he meets yeah. us there, yeah. even, even if we don't believe it. Yeah. He says he's going to be there. Okay, help me on my unbelief, right? Uh, you know, because and how I just to back to that note, I, I share with people, you know, it's not always a magical moment for me, you know, but I know that God says he's doing stuff, so I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. And so whether or not, whether or not I'm like, oh, whoo, I felt the presence of the Lord or not. Sometimes I have. Sometimes I've just, I don't know where I'm at in life, but I've just been overwhelmed with, wow, Jesus really forgives me. I'm really his own. Um, and sometimes it's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for confirming this to me every time. I would say that's mostly my reaction. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, um, so, but he's with us always, even if we don't believe it. <laughs> he's with us always. Uh, and we get to make disciples because he's the one that brings us together. Uh, it's one of the things that I enjoy about uh, the, the Wednesday nights here when the guys will hang out in the back, right? And we just talk about stuff. Now, it's always guided, but you know me, if we get off track, I don't care. I look at Bible studies, and a lot of times Bible studies is the vehicle to serve real fellowship to happen, um, especially those, those men, when, Wednesday night men's stuff, because it's like, eh. We get through the material, we get through material. But more importantly, sometimes we, you've been there, guys come with questions. Man, I don't know what's going on in my life right now. Or, hey, I was wondering about this. Great. I guess that's what we're talking about tonight, yeah. which is fine. Um, so, next week, Hosea. Ooh. We've made the decision. Ooh. Hosea. I, boy, we, quoted, we quoted Hosea this morning. Well, we quoted Romans, Paul, who quoted Hosea. That, so. that is a picture. It just made sense. Well, that's that's what I was. I've what I would say is the beginning of the minor prophets is Hosea. Well, I was just going to say that that is a heavy hitter of. uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, just you know, I'm just saying that sounds like America to me. It's America. Hosea, America. No, no. uh, What I'm saying is just a you know uh, telling the prophet telling the prophet, hey, I want you. I want this is what I want you to do. I want you to go down there. Pick yourself out a harlot, someone that's not going to be faithful. You're going to have kids by her, and then you know you're going to, she's going to leave you. Then you get to buy her back off the slave market a couple times. And I'm just going. I thought you were going for more like a. No, know, like that's America. <laughs> no, that's exactly, no that, that is America. We we are in the slave market. So. The, well, no, we're on Snapchat. In, in, in small letters uh, beneath America says Gomer. Gomer. I mean Gomer. Yeah. That was the name of the harlot. Yeah. 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 Gomer. Yeah. Don't name your kid Gomer. No. That's a poor choice. You're right. That poor harlot. Look at you. That's funny. Yeah. Hey, Gomer. Yeah. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thanks for all that you're doing. Uh, just uh, we pray for Sharon as she's driving back tonight. Lord, uh, just uh, uh, from Spokane, give her safe travel. And uh, Lord, we thank you again for just your faithfulness to us and Lord we look forward to uh, when the time changes so Connie can be with us too yes. so and uh, my wife would feel better and she'll be here too anyway Lord in- uh, also I want to just pray for pastors he comes back I'd like to 